days I've been preaching error. I don't know if anybody caught it. Nobody came up and told me I was wrong. Does anybody catch it? Did anybody catch it? Well, Solomon wrote how many books of the Bible? He wrote three. I was saying he wrote four. Lamentations. I was throwing lamentations in there for some reason. Jeremiah wrote that, so I don't know. It just kind of clicked on me this morning. It's kind of like um, Lamentations and Ecclesiastes kind of are a little bit similar, but Lamentations is Jeremiah's lamenting, but there's some good stuff in there. But in Ecclesiastes, we've been covering a few different things, and we've entitled this kind of a mini-series called Chasing the Wind. So we've looked at the pursuit of pleasure. And that, you know, God created a lot of things for us to enjoy in life, didn't He? Right? Whether it's just creation, uh, whether it's food, right? Uh, whether it's watching even activities, you know, the, some of you maybe stayed up too late watching the game last night and uh, kind of just kept on. It was a good game, you know. Um, it was a good game. Um, they'll get there one of these days. Um, I think they're close. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of things in life that God created for our enjoyment, okay? And so we talked about that in the week one of that. And then we looked at uh, the pursuit of wisdom and knowledge. You know, wisdom and knowledge are good things, but if that becomes our sole pursuit, at some point we're going to realize it doesn't all line up. There's still things that we can't answer, and there's still more knowledge to know, and it's still going to leave us empty if God isn't at the center of all that. And we just talked about how Christ... Is the, in, in Him are the secrets of all wisdom and knowledge. Today we're going to look more at chasing the wind. We're going to look at work and riches, all right? Wealth, money, 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 right? Can you see that up there? There's money there, right? And we're going to look at that. Solomon had a lot of it, all right? He had a lot of money. He had gold, gold, gold. You just think of the price of gold now. He was probably one of the richest people in the world at that time. Um, And yet, he said it's all a chasing after the wind. Isn't that interesting? A chasing after the wind. And and so, um, we've got one more message next week. We're going to talk about wisdom to live by. Uh, Just some other things I'm going to pull from Ecclesiastes. But in the book of Ecclesiastes, you may think it's kind of a downer because Solomon says, hey, it's all meaningless, right? A chasing after the wind. And you have to realize that he's presenting this from a sarcastic perspective. But he's also shooting holes in secular reasoning that, hey, if I have money, I have it all made, right? And that's even within the church because some of you are in the back of your mind thinking that, you could win the lottery, right? And I, I won't ask how many bought a lottery ticket in the last couple of weeks. And the lady that won almost $700 million, or was it a lady or a guy? Do we even know who it is yet? In California, grocery store? She only gets about half of that, like 300 and some million after taxes. <laughs> taxes, yeah. Oh, too bad, right? Yeah. But did you know you're the lucky ones because you didn't win it? I'll talk more about that. I'll talk more about that. But we think that, you know, and if pleasure, man, if we just had money or the ability to enjoy all the pleasures of this world, then we would be happy. We'd have it all together, right? Um, Fame, all these different things that we can chase and run after. And we put our hope, our trust, our, our reason for living, we put it in those things. And not that those things are wrong. 
in and of themselves, but if we just pursue those things solely without God in the center of that, we end up coming empty. And we come maybe to the same conclusion that Solomon did, that it's all meaningless, the chasing after the wind. So today we're going to look, we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 17 through 26, looking at the pursuit of work and money. And I would say that both of these things are good in the right perspective, okay? But we're going to look at it from Solomon's perspective, maybe poke some holes in, in all this. So before we do, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day, dear God. Um, And we just thank you for the opportunity to study your word. It is life to us. And Lord, um, most of us probably don't spend enough time in it, including myself. Lord, we need your word to change and transform us. It is your mirror to our life. As we get into your word, it reflects back what, um, what holiness is and who you are and what our human condition is, Lord God, and how much we need you, Lord God. And so, Lord God, we just pray that you would uh, just allow your Holy Spirit to make this come alive and uh, speak to our hearts and our lives. We ask this in your name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Chapter 2, verse 17 to the end of the chapter, 26. It says, Solomon says, so he's up to this point, he's talked about everything is meaningless. And then he says, wisdom's meaningless, pleasures are meaningless, folly and meaning... um, Meaningless behavior. Urban, Urban Meyer found out what folly, folly and senseless behavior is about this week, if you have been following the news, right? And uh, we'll maybe talk about that next week a little more. Toil is meaningless. So toil is kind of this idea of work and hard labor, toil, right? So let's see what he says. So Solomon says, so I hated life. You ever had one of those days? Monday morning. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. I mean, if work wasn't like work, you didn't sweat, you didn't have to feel sore when you're done with it, right? You didn't get a headache, it wasn't stressful, work could probably be pretty enjoyable. And I think sometimes it is. But sometimes it is actually work, it's toilsome. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind, verse 18. I hated all the things that I had toiled for under the sun. And Solomon had great projects. He made these huge, great gardens. He built massive buildings. You know, he had them, you know, he was kind of like the general contractor. I don't know if he ever lifted a stone or not, but, but he, um, he was part of these projects. Because I must leave them to someone else after me. Isn't that weird? You, you do all this work, whether it's your house or this great project, and guess what? You're going to leave it for somebody else, and they may take care of it, and they may not, Right? And who's going to take the best care of it? The person that did it, right? Because you put on all the hard work and effort. Well, if somebody else comes along, they don't have the respect for that, and they just kind of like, oh, they're just going to dump coffee all over your carpet, right? Yeah. All right. No reference there at all. <laughs> and who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So in my heart I began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and they must leave all that they own to another that has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and the great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All the days that their work 
is grief and pain. Even at night, their mile, minds do not rest. Right? You ever have that problem? It took my mind a little while to settle down last night. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than eat, drink, and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too I see is a hand of God, for without Him you can eat, you cannot eat, or find enjoyment. To the person that pleases Him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the one, but to the sinner, He gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So you can see the sarcasm in Solomon's writing, can't you? And if we were to take all that he says to the T, we would say, well, we can prove him wrong. But at the same point, there's truth in what Solomon has saying, isn't it? We work hard, we work hard, and at the, sometimes we can get to the end of our life and we go, what in the world was I working so hard for? It didn't bring the meaning, the purpose that I wanted to. And I worked hard, now somebody else is going to take it over, right? Um, in these verses, Solomon can paint a pretty uh, sarcastic view of work and toil. You work hard and sometimes it's all in vain. It becomes a chasing after the wind. And right now in America, there's a work crisis, isn't there, right? Um, there's a ton of jobs that are open and there's a ton of people unemployed. You would think those two would go hand in hand, but it's not working that way, is it? And um, we're feeling the impact of the COVID. It's just messed things up. Right now, they're even talking about you're not going to get your Christmas presents in time. There's going to be shortages because there's not enough people and there's backlogs and all that. You know, and I, what I find out is often we take jobs for granted. Did you know that? We take jobs for granted. When's the last time, I know this is probably going where you do not want to go, but you flush the toilet and you really think, man, I really appreciate the people that help make that possible. Whether it's the plumber, whether it's the sanitation people. I mean, when is the last time you've thanked somebody? But somebody does that, and it's maybe a thankless job, and you appreciate it. You appreciate not having to make that long journey back to the outhouse, if you remember those days. Those people are getting fewer and fewer, but... There are people, we, I think we sometimes don't appreciate all the work that happens around us. We flip on the light switch and the lights come on. We flip it and they go off. We got people that make that happen. Those things just don't happen. There's people that are working. Mike Rowe, how many know Mike Rowe? He's the, the host of Dirty Jobs, right? And so he's had some pretty good episodes where they get in there and they look at all these dirty jobs and he gets in there with them. He just uh, started a new show called America at Work. I don't know if anybody has had a chance to watch that. It, it's gonna be, it just started airing on um, Fox Business. Um, but he, he's highlighting the jobs in America that make America great and that make America what it is. So I think this first episode was going to be on the lumber industry. And so we were doing our remodeling project this summer, and lumber prices were like three, four times what they, what they had been. Why? Because there was a lumber shortage. And so you begin to miss those people that fill those roles, right? And we're probably not going to ever see somebody actually out there cutting lumber in Alaska or Oregon or Washington. Maybe you will. 
But see, we appreciate going to the lumber yard, to Home Depot or Menards and Lowe's and, and getting our two by four for three, four bucks and going our way, right? We don't appreciate the process that that goes through. We go to the grocery store. We buy our, we buy our beef and our pork and whatever, and we don't realize the process that went through that to get it to our table and to the store, right? You know, there's people that grow up in our cities that don't even know where beef comes from, Right? The process that it goes through. So anyway, Mike Rowe did that. And he's just highlighting, um, he really felt that to highlight just the work that is happening behind the scenes that it makes America great and makes America what it is. And we've always had this uh, great worth ethic as an American, right? And then even within the Midwest, that is especially true, that idea that we know uh, how to work and we work hard. So, but there is a temptation in all this is to think that our work is just about me, right? I don't know. You've never probably done that. You just think about, okay, what am I getting paid and how does it affect me? Did you know your work affects other people, right? If you're a teacher, it's not just about you and your income. You're educating people for generations to come, right? If you work at the grocery store, if you... You know, people are counting on you to, to do your job right. If you're a nurse or if you are, I'm trying to do in security, people are counting on you. If you're working in a factory, they're counting on their product and to get there on time, right? People are counting on you more than you may realize. Our work matters. And, and so the first principle that I pulled out here is that to thank God for your ability to work and find delight in it. Um, you know, if you were to lose your abilities to work, I think you would appreciate all the more that to go to work and have that opportunity to work and find meaning in that and to not only provide for yourself but to provide for others in your family but also to bless other people I think is a joy and a privilege. And there is something about work that God has woven into us. We find meaning. We find purpose from it. It adds to our life. We are sharper. Um, we... It, it makes us better. To be lazy and sit on the couch does not work, folks. We, we don't benefit from that physically, mentally, spiritually. But when we're out there working, there's something good that happens in our life. Thank God for your ability to work and find delight in it. And by find delight, maybe to find that job that fits you, you know. Um, if you're in a job that you absolutely hate, find a job that you do love, at least to some degree, right? All right, you're going to be happier and the people that you serve are going to be happier, all right? All right, if you're a doctor and hate, you know, I just find too many people, especially young people. So we got Bree over here in college. We got Olivia. All right. And they, they're already talking about what they're going to do. And they'll provide them with information. And, and what a, they have these charts, right? They have these charts and they say, this, per, this occupation makes this much. This occupation makes this much. And so what do the, they look at and they go, oh, that's what I want because that's money, 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 Right. It has nothing to do with how God's wired me or what's going to bring me meaning and purpose in my life. We look at that dollar sign instead of finding out, hey, what am I wired for? How did God create me? Find work that aligns with who you are. That'll really help you in college because you're not going to go through your college education and realize, you know what, I just got the wrong education. I really want to do this, right? And you wouldn't believe how many people switch degrees after that first semester or first year. They switch degrees and find out this isn't for me. I need to be doing this, all right? Hopefully you find it out earlier rather than later. Chapter 3, verse 12 through 13 kind of builds on that. 
Solomon says, I know that there's nothing better for people to be happy and do good while they live. To do good while they live. Did you catch that? To be happy and to do good while they live. Your work should be doing good for other people. That each may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil, their work. This is a gift of God. And to assume that you're going to get pleasure, you're going to get meaning out of your work is not a given. And it is, what Solomon is weaving in here is that that is something that God provides when you keep Him at the center of your life, that your work is more than just work. It becomes something that is meaningful to your life. It is actually can be a delight that you can sit down at the end of the day. You may be exhausted. You may be tired. But there's that sense of, you know what? I've worked hard today. And there's some meaning and excitement in that, isn't there? Um, some of the happiest moments of my life is when I've just finished a, a difficult project. I may be sweaty. I may be smelly. My wife might not want to be anywhere near me. But there's that sense of accomplishment. I believe that is a gift from God that He allows us to enjoy that. And I believe that work is part of God, how God wired us, and He made us. Secondly, Solomon addresses the pursuit of wealth and money because they kind of go together. Our work and our money, they kind of go hand in hand. So I'm putting those all together. So let's look at chapter 5, verses 8 through 20. Chapter 5, 8 through 20. Riches are meaningless. So if you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both others are higher still. So in other words, there's always this, somebody's always more you know, over you and over you, right? The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the field. So in other words, <laughs> right? And we even see that in America, right? People profit off of what you do, right? It's called taxes, right? Right? You work hard, the government takes their parts, other people benefit from it, government people, programs, whatever. Happened in Solomon's day, happens in our day. Verse 10, whoever loves money never has what? Hmm. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of the laborer is sweet. They eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Are you following that? He's saying the person that works hard and they put in a good day's work, they put their head on the pillow and they sleep. Man, they're out. But the person that is wealthy sometimes, and they have everything they want. They can't sleep at night because they're worrying about all the stuff that they have. I've seen the grievous evil under the sun, verse 13. Wealth hoarded to harm, to the harm of its owners. Wealth can be harmful to your health. Or the wealth lost through some misfortune. So you have all this wealth and it's gone. So that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. That happens, folks, still today. You can work all your life for income and it can be gone. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb and as everyone comes, so they will depart. Can't take it with you. Lowell Lundstrom, you maybe know him, maybe you don't. Evangelist, he's with the Lord now. But um, he was very um, up in the Midwest. He uh, traveled North Dakota, Montana, South Dakota, Minnesota. He said, You've never seen a U-. he goes, I've never seen a U-Haul trailer 
Uh, it hurts pulling a U-Haul trailer down the road. There we go, right? In other words, you can't take it with you. You can't take all those things with you. You're going to give it to somebody else. They take nothing from the toil, and they can carry it. Uh, they can't carry it in their hands. This, too, is grievous. And everyone comes so they will depart. What do you gain since they toil for the wind? All the days they eat in darkness and with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Wow. This is what I have observed to be good. This is what is appropriate for a person to eat, drink, find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the days that life, that the life that God has given them. For this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to the, enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy with their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Wow. You know, often we work, we work for compensation. We, and God, I believe, understands that. He, he says that in Matthew, right? He understands that we need clothes, we need food, we need those things, right? Uh, we need transportation, we need a roof over our head. But when money and wealth becomes our sole pursuit, our love, can we say that? We enter into dangerous territory. Why? Because we will never have enough. Some of the richest people in the world have been asked that question. How much is enough? And they say just a little bit more. What a terrible place to be in, to, to, to be wealthy and to have all this money and you're still not happy because you just want a little bit more. To have that contentment that comes from God is a gift from Him. Wealth is temporary. It's here one day and can be gone the next. So we can invest our time and energy into making money, but it can all evaporate into thin air. It can happen. Now, I'm not saying don't save. I save. I have retirement. I'm planning for those things, right? But if the stock market went south and went south really bad, you know, a lot of people would be hurting, right? There's things you can tr- control and things that you can't. Um, you plan, but you have to hold those things lightly, right? There's a lot of people that don't make it into retirement. So you can save, 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 and God calls you home. Kind of like he calls you home before you get there. That's okay. It's better up there than here. But So number two, wealth is deceptive because you always want more. You know, in the news, we're constantly bombarded by actors, professional athletes, famous people with a lot of money. They have fame. They have money. But you know what I find out? Many times we're reading about their misfortune. We're reading about what's wrong with their life. Why? Because they're not happy. So many of them deal with addictions, right? Alcohol, drug addiction. Um, Many times their families are a mess. They've been divorced. You look at actors and you look like, okay, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced, married, right? That's not a very good sign of happiness, right? Well, you know. If you think that wealth and fame is going to give you the great family, it's going to make you happy and you're not going to pursue other things, you're wrong. Money will not make you happy and it will not solve your problems. In fact, I think it will amplify your problems. If you have a bad marriage, it'll make it worse. If you can't handle finances now, It'll only make it worse when you have more money, right? 
You know, I, um, when we lived in Springfield prior to moving here, that's, you know, 16, 17 years ago. Um, but my kids were friends with some families that were very wealthy. They, you know, got to know them in the Christian school. I mean, they'd go over to their homes, and there's kind of, you know, their homes are just immaculate. I mean, just very nice. But, you know, you look back 16, 17 years ago, and some of those kids that they were friends with have had issues with drug addiction and other things like that. So they had the money. So homes had the money and the wealth, you know. And I, I know there's times that, I mean, in Springfield, when we were living there, we were just trying to make it to the next day. I mean, it was just very tight for us going to seminary. And, uh, Christian school income is not a lot to brag about. Um, you know, and I, um, wealth has to be measured more than just money in the bank, folks. There's a lot of other things that I think are more valuable, such as having a family that loves each other and, and fears God. And um, you know what? I I can't say that we've always had a lot of money. We haven't, but I've never gone a, without a meal. I've never had where I didn't have a roof over my head, um, where I went to work or whatever and didn't have clothes to wear. God's always provided. Isn't that something to be content and thankful about? So going back to the lottery. Some of you think, you know, if that was just me that won that, you know, 700 million, I would put it to good use. But this is some statistics. It's not all glamorous. Um, whether you've won 500 million or 1 million, about 70% of lottery win- winners lose all the money that they made in five years or less. They lose it all because they haven't learned how to manage it. They've lost it all. Beyond that, many of them are taken advantage of by friends and a spouse. They, get a sp- they have a spouse and they figure it out and they take the money and run, right? <laughs> or they have friends. They thought they had friends and they figure out a way to con them into something. And their friends get that money from them. Yeah. And then, you know, now you have all this money, and so your, your pursuits change. Your ha- your, uh, the things you like to do for pleasure and things you want to do, instead of going to the Husker games and sitting in the nosebleed section, you're going to sit on the front row. Well, if you want to take your friends with you, they can't afford to do that, so you have to subsidize them because they can't, they can't go by themselves, Right? So it makes it awkward. And so you lose your friends that you valued all over your life. And you lose some of the simple joys you once had. Now you're worrying about all the money and if you're going to lose it and who's trying to con you out of it. And what they even found out is that um, even though you may have all this money, that truly wealthy people don't respect you because you didn't earn it. So you don't have people's respect. And then if, you've made, if you want a million dollars, you feel inferior because you didn't win 500 million. This, this is just real results here, folks. So I'm thankful that you didn't win the lottery because you're going to be happier because of it. And some of you are thinking, you know, I wish God would sure trust me with it. I think I could do it. <laughs> so what is the secret? Number three is to love God and not money. I don't think God wants anybody to be poor. In fact, there's a lot of evidence within Scripture that God wants to bless His people, especially ones that have their priorities straight. And you look through a lot of the examples. Abraham was a very wealthy man, right? 
But he was willing to give his son on the sacrifice. He was willing to give it all to God. He was wealthy, but God used his wealth to be a blessing to other nations. Um, Because he knew that it was God that had blessed him and made him rich. Um, Boaz, we just talked about Boaz on Wednesday night. Boaz was a wealthy man. And even throughout Scripture, Barnabas was a wealthy man. And and several people, Solomon definitely was a wealthy man. So money is something that we're supposed to use to provide for ourselves, for family, and even to further God's kingdom. I think if we can be good stewards, so stewardship is the word that we use within that is kind of a biblical word. In other words, God gives us wealth. Through our work and through other ways, and he wants us to be a steward of it. What does that mean? I mean, a steward was somebody that was entrusted with their owner's wealth, and they were to make sure that it was spent wisely and appropriately. And that is what God is entrusting us with. We have to understand that he's the one that gives us wealth, and we're merely stewards of it. You know, we can get kind of possessive of it. We we live our life with closed fists, right, instead of with open hands, and allowing God to pour through us. I believe that if God knows that he can entrust us with wealth and we'll be a good steward of it, I think he is more likely to bless us even more. If we're frugal, if we're generous, if we allow money not to control us, but we control it, that's a key there, then I believe um, God can even bless us more. Um, If we see money as the secret of our joy and happiness instead of God, I think we're going to end our life disappointed. Um, it is deceptive. Money is deceptive. And money isn't bad, but the love of money is, isn't it? It'll destroy you. It'll destroy me. All right? You know, every Sunday we encourage people to give, right? We encourage people to give. And, um, and sometimes people wrestle with that. Sometimes people wrestle with giving to God, right? Right? And... Why does God give? Well, He gave us His Son, right? He gave us His Son to die on the cross. So He set the precedent for us. So if you want to give at that level, you're more than welcome to. Because He gave it all for us, right? He gave us His Son. God is a generous God. He wants, us, he wants that to be flowing through our lives as well. He wants us to be a generous people. They give towards Him. They give towards other people. He wants us to be generous people because it reflects his values. And when I give, it, takes, it releases the hold that I can have on money because I want to keep it for myself. Okay? I know you don't feel that way, but I can. Okay? All right? But when we're generous, it allows us, it frees up that hold that money can have on our life. You may think, well, I don't have much money. You know what? You, cannot, you can have two pennies to rub together, or as they say, two nickels or dimes or whatever. It doesn't matter. You can be the poorest person here and still love money. Or you could be the wealthiest person here and not love money. You following me? It has nothing to do with how much money you have in the bank. It has all to do with your heart. I want to kind of close with a story here. Uh, Musicians, you can maybe make your way up. I'm going to read this and then I'll tell you who said it. Once I was a teenager, so this is a real life account of somebody writing. It's a lady. She says, I once was a teenager. My father and I were standing in line to buy tickets for the circus. So this is going back a number of years when the circus would come to town and it was like a big, big deal when the circus came to town. I remember that. Uh, It was more of a carnival deal. 
And so this young lady and her father are standing in line to buy tickets for the circus. Finally, there was only one other family between us and the ticket counter. You couldn't buy them online on your phone, right? The family made a big impression on me. There were eight children, see, back in the days when they had eight children, and all probably under the age of 12, busy mom. And by the way they were dressed, you could tell they didn't have a lot of money. But their clothes were neat and clean, she says. The children were well-behaved, and all of them were standing in line, two by two, behind their parents holding hands. They were excited, jabbering about the clowns, the animals, and all the acts that they would be seeing that night. By their excitement, you could sense that they had never been to a circus before. It would be the highlight of their lives. The father and mother were at the head of the pack, standing proud as could be. The mother was holding her husband's hand and looking up at him as if to say, you're my knight in shining armor. And he was smiling and enjoying seeing his family happy. The ticket lady asked the man how many tickets that they wanted. He proudly responded, I need to buy eight children's tickets and two adult tickets so I can take my family to the circus. The ticket lady stated the price and the man's wife let go of his hand and she dropped her head and the man's lip began to quiver. He then leaned a little closer and asked, how much did you say? The ticket lady again repeated the price. The man didn't have enough money. How was he supposed to turn and tell his eight kids that he didn't have enough money to take them to the circus? Seeing what was going on, my dad reached into his pocket and pulled out a $20 bill and then dropped it on the ground. She says, we were not wealthy in any sense of the word. And my father bent down and picked up the $20 bill and tapped the man on the shoulder and said, hey, excuse me, sir, this fell out of your pocket. The man understood what was going on, and he wasn't begging for a handout, but certainly appreciated the help in a desperate, heartbreaking, and embarrassing situation. He looked straight into the dad's eyes and took my dad's hand, both of them squeezed, and he placed a $20 bill within it. And the man's lip was quivering and a tear streaming down his cheek. He replied, thank you, thank you, sir. This means a lot to me and my family. My father and I went back to our car and drove home. That $20 that my father gave away was going to buy our tickets to the circus. Although we didn't get to see the circus that night, we both felt a joy inside us that was far greater than seeing the circus could ever have provided I learned that day the value to give. The giver is bigger than the receiver. If you want to be large, larger than life, learn to give. Love has nothing to do with what you are expecting to get, only about what you're expecting to give, which is everything. The importance of giving, blessing others, can never be emphasized because it's always a joy in giving. Learn to make someone happy by the acts of giving. I don't know if anybody knows who wrote that. It was Catherine Hepburn that wrote that. Went on to be a great actor, right? You know, um, but she had caught the idea of giving, right? In Ecclesiastes, Solomon points out the shortcomings of work and riches. They all have a place. They're not bad in and of themselves, 
But when they be, take our heart, then we can come to the end of our life and we say, I missed it. It's empty. Jesus said you can possess the whole world and lose your own soul. Possess Christ and you'll be the greatest beneficiary of all. The beneficiary of God's blessing, favor, peace, hope, contentment, and eternal riches. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm just going to lead us in a prayer of salvation and then just a prayer over all of us. But if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, and you've just never come to that place where you've placed your saving faith in Him, I'm just going to lead us in a prayer and make that your prayer this morning if, if today's your day the day of salvation. So let's just pray together saying, Dear God, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. Be my Lord and my Savior. And walk with me each day of my life. In your name we pray. And Father, I pray you have your hand upon your people, Lord. Lord, just because we're human, we, we wrestle with these things. We wrestle with wealth and work. And Lord God, you, you've blessed us with all these things, but help us, Lord, to keep you in the center that you can be the love of our heart, Lord God, and so that these things are enjoyable to us and that we can find contentment. And you know that we need these things to provide for ourselves, for our family, Lord God. You know those things. And you want to bless us. But Lord, I pray that you would help us in that wrestle sometimes that we can just put you first in our life and find the joy and contentment that comes from making you the Lord and trusting you. We give you the thanks, the praise, in your name we ask. Amen. This morning we just thank you that you go with us through each stage of life, Lord God. And even when we talk about work and finances, Lord God, how much is enough? I don't know. Lord God, um, I believe it was Wesley that said he just wanted enough that he could pay his bills and that he could live off of and he gave the rest away because he'd never he didn't want to have not enough so that he would beg and and uh, steal but he didn't want too much that he would lose his heart for God and it would steal his love for him and so Lord God in each of our lives help us to navigate that Lord give us the wisdom Lord God to to be a good steward of what you provide for us, to use it wisely, and Lord God, to keep you at the center of our heart. We give you the thanks, we give you the praise. Lord God, we don't want to chase after the wind. We want to find you. We want to find happiness. We want to find joy. We want to find peace. We want to find things that last, not only in this life, but into eternity. So, Lord God, go with us this week. Let us be a blessing to others. Let us be salt and light. We give you the praise. We ask in your name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Greet each other as you leave.